Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Into the Spotlight. I'm Ryan. And I'm Morley. And our guest today is someone I like to think of as a magnet. Um, sort of magnet in the maker community. He seems to draw people together from all these different areas. And I was very lucky in the fact that when I started the sort of weekly makers on Zoom having coffee Zoom calls, he was one of the first people to join in. And uh, having that sort of magnet of the community right off the bat made it that much better of a community because so many people came in. So please join me in welcoming the one and only Andy Pugh. Hey, Andy. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. Looking forward to a great episode. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, like, I, I can't remember exactly when I first bumped into you on the online maker community, but I, I remember that, like, pretty early on in my channel, I feel like you were you were commenting on my videos, and it seems like you somehow are, like, everywhere in the community, in this maker community. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you found your way into the community. Uh, who is Andy Pugh, and... How, how has he found the community? Okay, so long story. It's going to be a long story here. I hope you're not hoping for a super quick episode. But uh, when I start, oh, no, we can... I will really go. Um, I mean, the making community, for me, making started back nearly, I'm, I'm 50 now. So I can think back making to 45, 46 years ago. And yeah, my dad was making stuff and, yeah, I can. I've got this vivid remember, memory of having a, a a plastic tractor, a little sort of ride-on tractor as a kid, and I wanted to be able to put a key in it. I had a key, and you know, we made a hole so the key would go in. So yeah, we were always kind of fixing things and making things. We didn't have huge amounts of money. But my parents were both kind of brought up. They were born just before World War Two, so kind of still of that era, post World War Two of make do and mend. You know, before kind of rationing in the UK finished. And it constantly uh, making things. You know, my mother was a uh, talented seamstress. Anything with yarn, wool, thread, you know, crafts that kind of no longer are kind of a common like tatting. You know, so she crocheted, she knitted, anything with anything with sort of textiles. That she did. She also did some painting and other things. My dad was always fixing the cars. You know, we never had huge amounts of money, so old cars—they always needed fixing. You know, our house—you know—he put in a bathroom, built a wooden extension. Again, constantly making things. Crafts. My, my father actually—he developed when I was about ten multiple sclerosis, and that mm-hmm. meant that yeah, although he had remissions, he spent a lot of time where he literally couldn't walk. He was stuck in a wheelchair. So he did things like making matchstick uh, figures and objects. So he literally, my parents both smoked, so matchsticks were just, you know, hundreds of them. So he'd cut them up and he'd he'd use them on sort of paper and card templates to make things like gypsy caravans and and things like that. (laughs) And he carved Welsh love spoons. We lived in Wales, Welsh love spoons were the thing to do. So he kept his hands busy. By doing things what was that hand. word you said there? Was that a Welsh word? Welsh love spoons. So oh, no, love spoon. English words. So um, love spoons are 
a traditional gift made by a man to give to a woman kind of as a, as a sort of betrothal gift. So they would often have, there's quite a lot of tradition around them based on things like the, the numbers of certain types of components could indicate perhaps the number of children they would have. There would be links between perhaps their initials. So there's, there's quite a lot of sort of heritage in them. I've, oh, wow. I've made a few. It's, it's, it's a fascinating study. And the historical ones are superbly complex. Of course, often just wow. carved with very simple tools. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, so the, the making was always there. So, yeah, Christmas gifts, they were always things like, yeah, I've still got the, the, the fret saw that I was given when I was probably about 10 with a, uh, a marquetry kit. And, yeah, it's still useful sometimes, you know, made a bit of a deeper throat than a coping saw. So we, it, we were a making family. So mm-hmm. it was always there. Uh, take on a few years, I went off to university to study physics. I became, I would describe myself as an experimental physicist, much more than a theoretical physicist. I liked doing experiments. Mm-hmm. And I moved then into uh, career. I, I did research and quality control in a couple of different aspects of industry. One was magnetic media. Uh, so I was reverse engineering Japanese magnetic tape, sort of videotape. Uh, for the American company that I worked for. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was interesting. Yeah, developing, and we did a lot of quality control. So we were sort of making bits of equipment in order to do sort of the tests and things. I then moved into uh, construction materials. So I worked for a company for a number of years that produced something called cement bonded particle board. So it's a bit like a, a chipboard product. So it was made by taking flakes of uh, timber, uh, different sort of dimensions, so heavier pieces than you'd get in MDF, uh, but small pieces like MDF as well. So in some ways similar to MDF, although that's that, that range of sizes. So you'd have larger pieces in the middle and then the finer material at the sort of outside in order to give that better finish. And that that was what, that was also being cement bonded particle board. It was there was cement in it as well, so it's a very heavy product. And I joined the company kind of on the promise that there was this research to do and as well as quality control. Unfortunately, the quality control uh, took over. The research died. Uh, the company mm-hmm. didn't last too many more years after I left it. Uh, but the in a fully automated factory, everything was automated apart from the quality control procedures. <laughs> so we, had, we were a small team of us were overloaded and we were shifting these boards around often on our own. And they were they were huge boards, yes, six foot by four foot or eight foot by four foot. Uh, anything from six millimeters was the thinnest we made, and they did mix the dimensions, by the way. Um, so six millimeters was the thinnest we made. The most common were twelve and eighteen millimeters. We went up to forty millimeters as well. So an eighteen millimeter eight by four sheet, which was the most common product we made, was hundred kilos a piece, and we would shift them on our own often. And not just the mass, but also the awkwardness of that. You actually shift in a board, it's prone to flexing. Yeah. You're often kind of trying to carry it or move it on its side. So that, that it was interesting work. It was, dust was a bit of an issue. Cement dust coming out of your, your, your sinuses for years after I left there. Uh, but the big problem was it, it destroyed my back. So I, I actually slipped two discs um, and actually burst one of them. 
So I, I left kind of thinking, this isn't good. So I had to have quite long treatment for that. And I, I did not want to go back to that. So I kind of accelerated my plans to go into teaching. Uh, I'd always thought about going to teaching, even when I was at university, but kind of wanted to get some life experience. And I like doing experiments. And so it's kind of right. Instead of doing it at 30, I did it at 26. So physics teaching, uh, obviously, I, I, I love teaching. I, it's a good job. It's not always a great job because you can work silly hours. There's a lot of marking, obviously, a lot of preparation. I was doing science, and science is fun, and I like making science fun for my students. So I kind of I, I, I rose through the ranks. I was, at various times, head of science, head of physics. I uh, didn't really look to go any higher than that. I just get more paperwork and more administration the higher you go. <laughs> but 20 years of doing that kind of brought the damage back to my back, just because you were like sta standing a lot, a lot and sitting more than anything, you know, it's it's oh, uh, really? sitting is is much worse for your back than standing. So for me, is you know you get twenty hours a week of in front of class teaching time, but another thirty hours a week in preparation assessments, and as a head of department, all the things that go with that, you know, all the kind of paperwork that management wants and the government wants, and analysing results and preparing plans and things like that. So. Yeah, at times, in my early parts of my career, I was working 100 hours a week once I'd become established and knew what I was doing properly. You know, it's nothing less than 50 hours a week in term time, averaging 60 to 70 more often. And that takes its toll. And eventually it took its toll to the point where I, I had to give up. And yeah, that was not something that was uh, a, I enjoyed. Um, but it's it, it's something that happened. Now, make, meeting the maker community kind of happened after that, but was based on seeds a bit before it. About so, I had to give up teaching uh, essentially 2017, 2018. Mm. But about 2014, 2015, I can't remember exactly, but about then, a couple of years prior to that, in the school I was teaching at at the time, the technology department had. They had, uh, I think, four or five members of staff. They had uh, uh, people teaching kind of essentially shop class type, what we call them in the UK, we call resistant materials, so woodwork and metalwork. Uh, normally around kind of uh, the course they were offering was uh, called product design. So you, the students would design products, then they'd actually make them. Uh, they had, a, they had a, a food technology teacher as well, and they had an electronics teacher. So they did electronic product design as well. But the electronic teacher wanted to retire, but there was still a class that needed one more year of teaching. So kind of the management kind of sort of said, we've got this gap coming up. Can you fill it? Can you teach electronics? Now, I, as it happens, after I'd left university and was working for the particle board manufacturer, it wasn't particularly taxing, particularly once the, the research had faded. and you only work in industry, you work the hours that you paid, that you're in work, you don't take things home. So I kind of got a little bit bored at times. So I actually did an electronics course at the local College of edu Further Education, just because it was kind of something I wanted to do, because I've always loved learning, I always kind of carry on trying to learn. 
So I was given this opportunity to take this class through and, and sort of teach them electronics. Now, I've, I've always been handy. As I said, I came from a making family. You know, when we, even before, when I lived in rented accommodation, I would always be fixing things. Very keen mountain biker and outdoor kind of sports person in my kind of sort of teens and, and 20s. So I was constantly kind of fixing things. So kind of, and you get when you buy a house. I got married and buy a house. You kind of, you know, oh, we need to do a kitchen. How much do we get somebody to do the kitchen for us? Uh, we'll do it ourselves. So yeah, you kind of do the DIY, build up the tools. You get, oh, I need to do this, right? I need a saw. So eventually, kind of build up the tools. Get a little workshop going. You build up. So I was, I was handy with the tools. I knew the electronics. Had to learn how to fit it into the course. So it was. It was a good opportunity, and at that time, I came across things like Make Magazine, which I'd never heard of mm. before, and Make Affairs. And in fact, there was a, a mini Make Affair in Brighton, which is about two hours' drive from us. And I took my kids to it on one Saturday and just amazed all these people who were kind of playing on vintage computers or building fancy sort of Pong games based on, you know, kind of sealed LED strips on the floor with foot switches, uh, remote-operated submersible vehicles. <laughs> it's an amazing amount of different crafts and, and skills being shown. And it, it helped me because I, I needed more resources. I needed to access kind of other ideas. I did come across people like kind of you know, Jimmy Duresta and a few other people whose names escaped me and probably aren't common names within the kind of parts of the maker community that we we kind of inhabit um, but it was kind of it was there and it, I was kind of just sat in the background and was aware of make magazine and I made use of some of their online resources and that was kind of interesting and then I got to the point where I was having time off work and I remember it was this would have been between April and July 2017 I was stuck at home I, I couldn't really do anything uh couldn't work i was struggling to walk my back was in such a bad place at the time and daytime television in the uk is pretty awful <laughs> so I, I think after kind of a day of watching the best programs i could find and there were there are some actually there's some good maker programs in in the uk tv World. Yeah, you guys. I feel um, like you guys have some shop. better maker yeah. shows than we do. Yeah, the repair shop, for example, a program I absolutely love. It's it gets a bit of a bad press from some people. It doesn't show quite enough of the making, but you, you're hearing the stories behind things. You're seeing the struggle sometimes of trying to fix something. And it's TV, so it's it's designed for entertainment. So I can't really accept that. But it's it's nice, and you see people's stories. But I've worked out how to get YouTube on my TV. So I'm literally lying on the floor watching. TV, or watching YouTube on TV. I was like, oh, well, this is, there was a guy, what was that guy called? Jimmy DeResta. So I kind of found Jimmy DeResta and watched a few of his videos and then came across Bob Claggett. And I can't remember which one of them mentioned it, but there was that, oh, there's a podcast. So on my kind of daily walks, I live in a little village and there's, there's kind of a mile walk, which I take my dog on once or twice a day. And you know, when I was fit, that'd be like 15 minutes walk, but it, it turned into kind of 45, 15 minute walks to kind of get round. I would, I dug out an old iPod, had to stick a battery pack on it because the battery had died and 
but it yeah it was like okay i'll listen to this this podcast and because they mention other podcasts they mention other people so it's you know, back on youtube let's see some of these other people and mm. slowly delve into it and then on kind of facebook you discover a few people and then in i think it was the summer of 2017 i thought my my daughter had asked or one of my daughters had asked if i could if, if we could make a present for one of her friends and it was a it was a sword and in fact if you go back to my instagram it's the very one of the very first things that i posted on instagram was this kind of sword this construction of a sword because i thought i'm going to do this instagram thing so i've not done it before so i'm going to start instagram and then i kind of can't remember at what point i bumped into um, i use that kind of yeah not as an online kind of bump into al from al's hack shack and Soph from Make It Soph, and a couple of other people, but they were the sort of the two main people that kind of maybe realised there's actually this community of people in the UK. And Al and I were both kind of we started our channels at about the same time, our YouTube channels. So he started Al's Hack Shack, which yeah, he's, the guy is far more talented than I am. He's got far more energy, and yeah, he's obviously much further ahead than I am. And I think it just roller coasted from there. Yeah, probably <laughs> kind of YouTube, and then you sort of join a few Facebook groups. And because I don't, I, I did go back to work in the, the autumn of 2017, uh, but I lasted just over two months before literally I got sent home from work one day because I, I was literally hardly able to move. I was in so much pain that I was literally crying. Uh, my line manager just said, you can't be here. Yeah, this you've, you've got to go. Because um, mm. it, yeah, it wasn't right. It wasn't right for me. It wasn't right for the school for, for me to be there. And that was, that, well, that was the last, but I've only been, in, I only went into the school one more time after that. And that was about six months later to actually pick up my personal belongings that I literally got, I literally left without picking anything else up. Uh, took, yeah. Two, uh, over two hours to drive home just because I had to stop so often. And yeah, that, that kind of put me in a position where, right, what what can I do? Well, I filled, yeah, I filled a lot of my time with trying to make and, and do more making just for the sake of making. And I recorded some of that and put that out on YouTube. And I spent a lot more time taking photographs because certainly on my walks, my walks, yeah, that kind of one mile walk around the kind of village became essentially part of my therapy. I had to move. I think that was my first, I think that one of my first memories of like seeing some of your creative work was the photographs on your walks. I think, I think that was when I first kind of started interacting with you and seeing your stuff. And it was, it's, it's cool. It's a, I really enjoy doing stuff like that as well. Like on my, on Instagram stories, for example, I think it's a great medium for kind of just documenting things you see throughout the day that you th find like beautiful or inspirational that you, that you can then go back through. Um, it's a really yeah, and great people miss things. I think too often we kind of walk by and don't see. We kind of, we don't look. But mm -hmm. kind of sometimes when you're forced to actually walk very slowly, um, you kind of, you've got to pay more attention to those, you know, those raindrops that appear on a, a leaf. You know? yeah. I live in a you know, very rural part of the country and, it's a, yeah, it's a small little village. We've got lots and lots of trees. It's a lovely place. And yeah, particularly this time of year, leaves falling off and lots of rain, as the UK does give us. 
at times. <laughs> it just just seeing sometimes, particularly if you're an early morning walk, and just the sun glinting across you know, a puddle. Or, yeah, it's it's about opening your mind, and yeah. I think that's something. Yeah, you know, people like Andy Berkey. Yeah, if you follow him on, on YouTube, and anyone who's not following Andy Berkey on, I'm sorry, not YouTube, Instagram. He is on YouTube. Instagram is his place where he just posts so many just interesting little thoughts and amazing pictures. And his philosophy is, is just that kind of like, yeah, keeping the mind open, keeping the eyes open, looking mm. for things that are different. Uh, so, yeah, he's a, a great inspiration from that kind of point of view. Yeah, I mean creativity is such it's so much more a matter of like mindset and perspective than it is any innate ability i find it's just it is all out there mm -hmm. to be gleaned inspiration from and everything else like i find sometimes overwhelmed at all the detail of everything if i'm like out in the city sometimes and not in a bad way but just looking around and being like oh my god like i could not Sometimes I don't feel like this at all, but sometimes I will stand on a street corner and look at a facade and think like, I could look at this for half an hour and be yeah. entertained. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Just because there's so much here, especially like in, in a place like New York City, for example, I've always felt that like you look at just like a block and you see so much history um, and so many things going on in such a small space. Well, you have to come to the UK. I mean, some of the city, you know, you take yeah. I, I about uh, 45 minutes from Canterbury which is, is kind of a very old town. And yeah, there are, there are bits that are kind of Roman. And you've got, yeah, cathedral is, is hundreds of years old. You can walk down a high street and see yeah, a, a modern glass and steel facade on the front of a, a store. And then less than five minutes walk, you've got Tudor building with the, the upper floors overhanging the street. And there are cobbles down the side alleyway. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know that those cobbles have been there for hundreds of years and you know, probably millions of people have walked over them. Yeah, yeah, it's... it reminds me of Quebec City because that's my favorite place in the world and just being able to go out and appreciate, you know, the history of this place, the people that were here, but also just like the artistry. You see so much beautiful artwork and architecture and, you know, the music that's being played on like by musicians on the side of the streets. It's so nice to just like you guys mentioned, to be able to go out, walk, and just appreciate these small moments just to make you reflect on things and just be totally immersed in them. And sometimes one of my favorite things is just when you go out in these spaces is just you're able to find new inspiration along the way in places that you weren't, you didn't know you were looking for it, but you just find it. That's one thing I love about that the most. Yeah, it's the, I mean, going for walks is like one of the most, natural and beneficial things humans can do it's what we're meant to do we're, we evolved to be able to walk long 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 distances and uh we're it's like we're at our best when we're doing it we're all gonna be like forrest gump with like the big beard <laughs> yeah. all over america um i wanted to ask you andy like you mentioned like you know, you're seeing these you know people like jimmy DeResta, maker magazine uh, yep. these shows from the uk about you know how to make all these different types of uh, projects when you started making your youtube videos how did you f start discovering your visual style because it's always like you know building the project or whatever you're making is one thing but then trying to be able to visualize it what was it like early on when you're trying to find that your own visual aesthetic for your videos what was it like what were some people you were looking for inspiration what was that what was that process like my my process process has been has been 
stimmied slightly by the fact that my space is very limited. Uh, the tinkerage where I do most of the kind of building work when I can is is tiny. It, it literally it's less than sixty square feet, wow. uh, and I've got uh, yeah just huge amounts of stuff just sort of stuffed in it. it it's too big sometimes. In fact, I've been thinking lately as to whether I should actually try and get rid of some more stuff. But I know this everything I've got is stuff that I use or want to use, have used or will use at some point, and it's kind of like do I kind of try and I haven't used my table saw, for example, in five years, four or five years, probably four years. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think, well, should I get rid of my table saw? But then I think maybe one day we'll I'll have a bigger workshop. Maybe yeah, we might move in a few years' time. And then I'll have a maybe a, a garage-sized workshop. And then the table saw can, can become a permanent feature that's out and open, and I'll use it rather than something that's actually underneath a bench. So I've... I've really been sort of stimmied by the sort of space that's available to me and where it can be filmed. I think most of the time I'm trying to, I spent 20 years as a teacher and prior to that I was involved in teaching of one form or another. I was always the kid at school who helped other people understand things, help them out. So I think it was natural that I was going to go into teaching. So I think I've that is always kind of there. Even if I'm trying to do something that's maybe like, almost like an ASMR type video where you're just showing a process and you put some nice music to it, I'm still even yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. then think about how can this be some sort of teaching idea you know, to show that. There's plenty of things I'd like to do, which I haven't been able to because of space. I'd like to have better lighting. I'd like to have a camera located kind of pointing towards me so I can show, show the, the opposite side of the bench. Because again, being that teacher, uh, but it, it's still a work in progress, I think. And I think it always will be because that's, that's the way I've always been. I'm, I'm a constant work in progress. So, yeah, some of it is stuff that I'm always trying to learn more. I'm always trying to do different things. I, I think like Morley says sometimes, you know, it's that constant little changes. You know, right. One thing better every time you make a video. Yeah, that's, that's such a good inspiration. I really like the aesthetic of your videos and, and even yeah. when I see you in know, like your Saturday Zoom calls of in your tinkerage. And it's maybe just because I have a thing for small chaotic spaces, like the visual <laughs> overwhelmingness of it. I just really enjoy seeing it. But like I, I feel similar to you in the fact that like I also work out of a very small space. And with that comes a, a very specific aesthetic that you can't get away from. I mean, like you can only put the camera in so many places. Mm. Um, you're going to have a certain amount of like natural lamp lighting. I mean, I, I could get studio lamps, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting. Like it's very genuine. And I definitely like that in your video. Like it feels very natural. It's you. It's like Andy and his tinkerage and in the teaching. It's It's kind of like everything in your life has kind of made this certain style. And I, I understand wanting to... Um, develop it but I think there's like a certain core of it that is really great yeah my I think my aim has always been to try and be relatable to to other people yeah I I don't have anything festal I don't have yeah I I don't have I've got a lot of stuff I'm yeah I'm I'm 50 I'm old I've been collecting tools for 40 years plus I've Mm -hmm. I've still got stuff that I had when I was new in single digit age so I've I've collected stuff I uh, 
I've been very fortunate to have people give me things over the years. So I, I'm, I know that I'm fortunate from that point of view. I don't have huge amounts of fancy kit. I've, I've always wanted to, don't get me wrong, if, if somebody said, look, here's a bunch of, if Fessel turned around and said, look, we want to sponsor somebody different to Jenny Swiss or Laura Kampf, would you like a pile of Festival stuff? I would find a way of fitting it in. Uh, but yeah, I think just trying to be relatable. Show I'm just an ordinary guy, really. I, I've just an ordinary guy, lived a fairly ordinary life and with some interesting bits to it. I want to try and show that. That's what I loved about as I was going through your channel preparing for this episode was just that authenticity really comes across in your videos. That's one thing I really loved about. That's one thing I loved about as I'm watching more maker videos. Since I interviewed Morley for my documentary, like I didn't know this whole maker movement existed. And now I'm really interested in like learning about people and the personalities and the projects that they're making as I'm watching these videos. Like you mentioned like how, you know, I don't have like the biggest space at the moment or, you know, don't have the right lighting and sometimes you don't have the right camera, but I find that those constraints adds to your own personal style, your own aesthetic. That's something that's really cool and really interesting. I, I see for cross, not just every maker, but every YouTuber and even filmmakers as well. And something that's really interesting to see. Like I was watching your vlog, um, Inspiration to Make, and you say that if you're always waiting for perfection, you'll never get started. So like as you get started, you just learn to grow and build and get get more tools as it goes on. Because even with makers, it's just so cool seeing them make projects in their own little workshops with the tools that they have at with them at the moment. And then just, then just see them grow from there. It's always so fascinating to watch that. It is. I, th I think this is the, the the beauty of the maker community. I mean, I I, I love this maker community. I, I think I think it's awesome. I, it's huge. It's convoluted. There's so many different. Yeah, you've got your, the woodworkers, the wood turners. There's overlap often between those. You've got your metal workers, your blacksmiths, your knife makers, the people into three D printing, the people into lasers, the people into textiles. I, I, I could keep on doing that list, It'd get harder and harder to come up with the terms, but yeah, you know, I could keep on uh, with a list of different type of making that make up this community for probably 10 minutes, if not more. <laughs> and, it, and it links. And it, uh, there are people that are doing multiples of these. And yeah, we've got, there are, there are big names, people like Jimmy DeResta, uh, who is a fantastic guy. I, I'm very lucky to have met him. And yeah, he's, he's very down to earth and what you see is what you get. And everyone that says he's a really nice guy, he really is. Um, there are a huge variety of styles, as you say. I think it's, I think it's important that, we, that more people understand that being in the maker community, so there's being in the maker community and there's being in the YouTube maker community as well, which is kind of yeah, a subset of that yeah. maker community. Because I, I know full well that there are, many people that are superbly talented who don't go anywhere near youtube other than using it as a resource to gain information yeah my brother-in-law is a good example of that he would never dream of making a youtube video it's not something he would be interested in doing as a maker yeah if he wanted to apply himself his his skill levels are just huge he's he's a natural engineer he's been an engineer for all, all his career yeah, he's done blacksmithing. He does electronic control. Yeah, he's he's made 
his most recent project that I know of, because uh, we haven't obviously COVID, we haven't been to each other's houses for, for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, he made a, a 3D printer that is a, has a bed six times larger than normal. Yeah, the thing is yeah, about a meter wide, about a meter and a half high, and about a meter deep, slightly less than a meter deep, two thirds of a meter deep. The thing is huge. Um, but he does that because he likes to make stuff like that. Yeah, if he put that process on YouTube, he he would get such a following. But he's not interested. Right, right. And there's just, there's hundreds of other people, thousands of other people like that. Mm-hmm. But it's I think the great thing about the maker community is there are so many people that are prepared to say, and I, this is something I like to sort of try and do, you know, encourage other people to kind of go, oh, you you, you want to make a YouTube channel? But you say you don't have the right equipment, you don't have the lights, you don't have the camera, but you've got a smartphone. Let's do it. It started. If you go back to the early days of many of the big channels, and I've I've seen quite a few channels that in the last kind of few years that I've been kind of watching the YouTube regularly, just go from you know, a few thousand or just a few hundred to tens of thousands, hundred thousands, even millions of subscribers, and you see them changing. You know whether it's the teacher, uh, April Wilkerson, just to kind of name a couple of big names. Yeah, she went from very small channel. I, I can remember watching April before she had the the big shop, where she was literally doing stuff just outside, or in the garage when they first moved to their kind of current house. And you think, you know, yeah, all you all you need is something to record. You can edit on your phone or just put it up as it is. Make small little changes, improve things. You know, get better light. Yeah, I've I've just added a new light to the Tinkerage. I still need to put it in place. So on the Maker on Zoom meetings here yeah, on a, a sort of Saturday, kind of half my face is lit up because it's just stood against one side. But <laughs> better colour than the kind of fluorescent tube that I used to have. It's amazing seeing those uh, incremental improvements kind of all add up when you have someone whose videos you watch and you haven't watched one for a while and then you start again. So like I, I saw Jimmy Duresta's most recent vlog after not seeing like his past three or anything. And I don't know if it was this video in particular, but I, it really hit me. I was like, wow, your production quality has leveled up. Like, I mean, he used to be using his flip cameras in his basement workshop, with <laughs> yeah. no lighting. And these are like beautiful, crisp 4K footage, like the color, the stabilization. I was like, wow. And it's awesome. Like it's really, uh, it, it's not like it's lost any of its genuine quality. It's just that like, he's grown and and realized kind of like where the the good investments to make are well he's developed the skill he's developed the skills as well and if a while back he was talking on a podcast i can't remember which one and talking about how uh brett's scholar spades 13 had kind of helped him take his video recording to a, a, a more cinematic look mouthful isn't it to get to, to that higher level to actually kind of using camera settings so using better lighting thinking about that and yeah the guy's visually very talented so he took that very easily and he's produced now beautiful photographs beautiful video um another, another great example of that uh, for beautiful cinematography is steve house from moonshine metalwork and the work he's done on the Forge UK by Alex Pohl. The videos on on that 
yeah, just absolutely stunning. Yeah, just, just the documentary level the filming, the, the, the over, the overplay of sounds, the voiceovers. It can be done. Yeah. One, I wanted to go back to one thing you kind of touched on earlier because I think there's a really interesting point there. Um, this sort of historical division between very, very skilled craftspeople who don't largely share your work and the, let's limit it to the maker community on YouTube, many of whom are self-taught and may not be the world's best craftsmen, but they are very good and they know how to film and produce a video. And I think it's an, it's an interesting duality because I think it also kind of reflects um, the a kind of core um, quality of the maker community. And it's this kind of, I, I see it as this almost, um, re- not a retaliation, but a, uh, a reaction to this like 20th century split of professional people like white collar workers and blue collar workers. And you have people that are maybe they were more white collar workers for a while or on the technology side of things. And they're seeing the hands-on things and they're saying kind of from a bird's eye view, like, oh, that's beautiful. And that can make, I can use my skills with video making or, or maybe social media as well to make something really interesting out of this. And I, I think it's some, I think some people can find a bit of tension there because they're like, oh, well, these people that are making videos and are getting very, very successful in it aren't the best craftspeople. But I don't think it's anything bad at all. I think it's just a fact of how the community has come up. Because I, I don't know if you see it the same way, Andy, but I see it as the, a large reason for the maker community is because a lot of people getting sort of like fed up with zero connection to the material goods around them. And they want that connection. Um and they've never had it, and you know. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely that that reaction to, for example, particularly like you say, the technology workers. That if you look at some of the YouTubers, Bob Claggett is a fine example. Yeah. He yeah did very well in app development, in programming, and has expressed several times how he wanted to actually do things he started doing things with his hands because he was fed up of being in front of a computer and i think there is that reaction to it there, there are more people now who are wanting to discover old ways of doing things so yeah the the, the trades people the professionals who do very good jobs of making very fine furniture or cabinetry for people's homes but then they kind of yeah they love wood but they're going to go home and instead of using their a huge table saw with a huge sliding carriage and uh, yeah, spindle molders and router tables, they'll pull out a hand plane and they'll pull out kind of router planes with different shapes on it and they'll make something by hand or they'll turn to carving or they'll the, the wood turning. So I think there's, there's that desire, which I think has probably always existed. I grew up in a, a mining village in, in South Wales Valleys. And there were always people, you know, the, the men would go down the mine and they'd work there for, you know, eight to 12 hour shifts, come out and, you know, some of them would breed budgerigars, some of them did racing pigeons, some of them made things, yeah, some of them just, they did gardening, they had allotments. There was that need to still do something creative, 
even though you know, they, they work very long hours in, in very poor conditions. I think now yeah, people don't tend to work down mines so much and they're more mechanized. But now it's yeah, the cubicles and the monitors. It's there's still that desire to make things and be creative. I think it's a it's a natural. I'm sure in, in probably ten years time somebody will say, oh look, we found the gene that says humans want to be creative. They want to make things. They want to fulfil a need to mm. produce something with their own hands. So I think there's there's that element of it. I think there is a tension between tradespeople and the maker community, and often there's an overlap. You see that sometimes, particularly in things like Facebook groups, a few kind of right. quite large Facebook groups, which are nice to dip into now and again. You see some amazing pieces of work. But every now and again, somebody I saw one early this morning, in fact, where there was a somebody questioning why so many YouTubers that are makers seem to use crosscut sleds on their table saws rather than using mitre saws. Now, there's a huge number of reasons why somebody might choose crosscut sled over a, a mitre saw, and yes, some of those are good reasons or not. And there are a few comments from people that I recognise as being trade professionals who are going, oh yeah, look, they've taken their riding knives out as well and they don't have their guards on and yeah, there's kind of so there, there is a tension, I think, that exists. But it doesn't need to. It it doesn't need to. But then there are tensions between all sorts of people anyway. Yeah, I, I saw another discussion on another forum earlier today as well. Somebody sort of saying, "Well, I like three D printing," and somebody else said, "Well, I like making three D printers. I'm more interested in kind of." modifying, tuning, and just yeah, just anything to do with I'll run my firmware, I'll sort out my 3D printer, get it working really well. Uh, my brother-in-law's a bit like that. He's built this 3D printer. He's not interested in 3D printing per se. It's useful. He's, he's done some interesting things for his, his work, but he's not really into 3D printing. He's into making 3D printers. He's, he's in the past made CNC machines and things like that, he's more happy to make it and then sell it on to somebody else who can use it. And the other person I mentioned then just said, well, actually, I, I don't care for it. I just want somebody, I want you guys, I want people like you to get these 3D printers doing these things so I can make the things I want to make that I want to use the 3D printer for. So I think it's, it's that uniqueness of humans, isn't it? There are some people, all I want to do is turn bowls on my wood blade. All I want to do is knitting. All I want to do that. And then there are of other people who go, actually, I want to use the wood turning blade to make myself some supersized knitting needles so I can make this supersized scarf <laughs> or whatever. The people that combine the things. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask because as the non-maker in this conversation, well, I'm a filmmaker, but that's a different sort of making altogether. Still making. <laughs> Still making. There's the there's the title of the episode. Um, like <laughs> since you both asked this to both of you because you have both been making YouTube videos and making all different types of projects for a few years now, and in each of your experiences, how has being part of the maker community impacted your process and even the projects that you have gone on to create? Like, what's it like? You know, when you're 
interacting with other types of makers, sharing advice, seeing their types of projects and me and seeing like, oh, I want to make my own version of that sort of project, but in a different way. How is how is just being a part of this grassroots movement, this sort of community impacted each of you? It, it it's I think it's fundamental it's no it's not fundamental because I think the the need to make it will happen regardless. There are there are plenty of people across the world who are making who do do not even look at YouTube for inspiration, who who do not know about the existence of a community of people that regard themselves as the maker community. So I wouldn't say it's fundamental. But I, I would like to say that for me having access to the maker community in all its forms is now a crucial part of my enjoyment and advancement of my making. I know that I can, for example, I've, I've done this. I, I, a few years ago, I was making a, a piece. It was a carved piece. It was using you, a wood that I, I'd not used before, a beautiful wood. I love, I love carving you. And it was, it was for somebody else. It was, it was actually, I was making something that was a gift for somebody else. And I knew I had to get it right. It wasn't something I could mess up. And I wasn't sure how to finish it. Yeah, finishing is not something I knew huge amounts about. And like a lot of things in making, any in life, you can you can look online and go right. Okay, how do, how can I finish this? And you'll find ten different answers, and those ten different answers will give you fifteen different ways of doing it. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, there's this guy called Andy Burke who I've seen on YouTube, who I know is a a master craftsman, makes the most amazing stuff. He's been doing it for years. He'll know about finishing. So I, I sent him a, a message on Instagram and said, look, I'm, I'm making this thing. Um, I'm not sure best way of finishing it. What would you do? And he said, well, I'd probably use boiled linseed oil. And I said, well, just, you know, just straight. And he said, well, no, no, mix it with a mix it with 10% of turpentine or something like that because it will dry a bit quicker. And so that's what I did. And it works perfectly and that's what I use for finishing you now when I whenever I do that because it it just works really nicely and I know that there's anything that I do I, I've got a, a vast array of interests in, in making yeah real kind of jack of all trades yeah I've got a 3d printer in fact, I've got two 3d printers I've got an interest in electronics I've got an interest in mechanics I've got an interest in wood in various forms, I'm, I, any problem I have, any issue I have, I know someone that I can contact and I know that I can get an answer certainly within 24 hours, sometimes within 24 seconds. Yeah, I, as, as Molly knows, because we're in the same WhatsApp group, yeah, if we got a 3D printer problem, there's a, yeah, there's a couple of people, yeah, Jamie Reader, Duncan Band, to name just two, who will go, yeah, well, yeah, that's, you need to do this, this, and that. And you go, what? And they go, right, let's see through step by step. You do this first, and that's going to involve doing this, 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 and that. And then later you'll do this, these five things, and it solves the problems. And that's what the maker community means to me. And when I see people like that doing great things, you know, see people like Morley making fantastic things in, yeah, as 
is where he's at. In, yeah, not it's not a huge workshop. It's not a huge amount of tools. This it's it's about creativity. It's about seeing that creativity. So for me, that's what the the maker community means. Yeah, it it really is an amazing resource that I don't think I take advantage of enough. Um, I think when I I think my knee-jerk reaction a lot of time is to try to figure something out myself, and I, I probably should ask for help a little more. That being said, though, I think one of probably the largest positive impact being a member of this community has been for me is just empowerment. When I see someone who I relate to make something that I have not tried or attempted, it makes me think, oh, I can do that. Like, There's no other consideration. Um, especially the other people who are creating amazing, fantastic things with a very limited space and tool set. Um, and I think that has been a direct influence on how I try to make my videos because I see, I get so much benefit from seeing people in tiny shops with very limited tool sets doing amazing things. And I'm like, well, that's the impact I would like to have on other people as well. I actually... It, it's not rational. And I, I think I need to question this a little bit, but I try not to get new tools as much as I can. Uh, it's not really a conscious choice, but I always find myself, whenever I'm thinking about getting a new tool or anything, I'm always pushing back. And there's the limited space. There's the frugality. I think there's a bit of a, like I'm trying not to be a very, like a heavy consumer as well. But I think also part of it is because I, I have gotten so much benefits from seeing other people do things with very basic tool sets. And I'm like, well, I can, I don't need another thing. I can do this with what I have. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly empowering. And I think that's one of the biggest values of the maker community is that it's making, it's letting people realize it's taking the mysticism out of all these crafts. Um, and kind of going back to like what we were talking about earlier and the fact that like for many, many years, there has been largely in the Western world, developed world, a bit of a split between these crafts and the people who consume them and enjoy them. And I think knocking down those barriers, because it is like, as a movement and as a community, it is like a kind of disruptive force um, to the the wheel of society and um, yeah, like capitalism and everything else. I mean, like it's it's not the, it's not exactly the status quo. For people to be like, I'm going to spend three weeks binding a book. I think it's incredibly <laughs> natural. I think it's it's the nat most natural thing in the world for people to, in many ways, get back to their roots and being like, I want to have that sort of village lifestyle and have this connection to all the things around me. Um, but I think it is also, there is this, a modicum of disruption in the movement as a whole. You see, you say disruption, but I'd say there's also a construction that comes from it too. The development that happens from people in the maker community, the ideas that get generated, which sometimes get taken by commercial entities and turned into something else. But I think it's it yeah disrupted to the status quo. Perhaps, but I think it sometimes also feeds into into society. So I think it's massively constructive too. I think yeah, definitely. And I wouldn't say that disruptive. I wouldn't say that disruptive precludes 
constructive at all. I mean, I think some of the most like disruptive forces have been some of the largest innovations, like the internet, um, for example. Or, I mean, so many incredible things started as someone not following the rules or doing something on their own terms. And then at a certain point, a thing becomes undeniable and it's crazy until it's right. And then people go on and that's the new thing. Um, yeah, but it is a bit of a, a bit of a shift I find. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a massively good thing. And I, I think that one thing I'm noticing within the maker community over the last couple of years for example, is, is the increased amount of talking about people or from people about how making is having a positive impact on their lives and particularly for their, their, their mental health. The number of people now that you see kind of opening up and saying, I make because it makes me happy. It gives me an outlet. It gives me an ability to express things I want to express it gives me a a way just to kind of almost meditate yeah the, the idea that you know, just maybe whether it's sanding for, for for hours at a time or just having to concentrate so much on something that any other part of your life is almost forgotten about you know if you're using a scroll saw or if you're using a, a table saw or you're designing something in, in, in fusion 360 you have to focus on those things you can't kind of be using a table saw and thinking oh did i leave the photocopier on at work <laughs> all those things they have they have to be able to remind because either you've got something that's so fiddly like the scroll saw you've got something that involves such kind of intense mental effort like Fusion 360, or you know that if you don't concentrate 100%, you're going to put your fingers into the ta table saw blade. So I think it, it gives people a relief from other parts of their life, whether that's stress of work or whether that's a stressful relationship. It gives them an outlet to their creativity, which is, is a positive thing, and people are talking about that more. So... Mm -hmm. I think it's a it's a great thing that's happening, and more and more people are realizing it. More and more people are realizing that actually going off and doing a blacksmithing course and banging some hot metal with a, a two pound hammer is, is actually really cathartic and yeah, a, a great thing to do. So it's things like that as well that we kind of don't always think about. It's not just the making of something. It's it's not just what we make. What do we leave behind? That's perfect. Blacksmithing is one of those things that it was one of the first crafts that I really wanted to dive into. And it's the one that I haven't yet. It's been I, in high school when I was like 16, I wanted to build a forge in our backyard and my mom <laughs> said, no, <laughs> so one of the, one of these days I'll get around to it. The dreams were dashed. <laughs> but not for I'm sure you'll do it. I, I made a nail at Maker Central last year uh, under the tutelage of I think Joe Garnett from the, from the Forge, the, the Alex Pohl and, and Steve House. And uh, it was a fun thing to do. It, for me, it's not, I'd love to do blacksmithing further, but I know physically I can't cope with it. I, yeah, right. five minutes doing a nail, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, banging out a, a knife or 
that's all about it's my my back would not cope with it but it was fun it, i would certainly recommend if you get the opportunity to go and do some blacksmithing take it yeah if you go down to one of Jimmy Duresta's classes for example yeah, grab the opportunity and, and, and go and do it it's it, it is fun um I, I think i'll i think i need to resurrect I, I, I for a while i did uh, silver jewelry so i think i need to dig out my bits and bobs from that and maybe do a bit of that because it's kind of gives some of the same same principles you get to hit a bit of metal you get a sword you get to get it hot but without the yeah. uh, heavy bits of kit to go with it and the bending over you kind of the jewelry you tend to work at kind of a more sort of upright level do you th- have you seen do you think in the in a few years or or really lifetime but you, we can say the maker community has been evolved existed forever mm-hmm. but in any time that you've been it how have you seen it evolve how do you think it has changed i, th- I think something a, a question like that it can be difficult to answer because of course you're always viewing it from the point at which you joined the community right and like you say it, the maker community has existed for thousands and thousands of years people have always made people have shared mm-hmm. their making yeah obviously sometimes there was a maker in the village who concentrated on one thing yeah every village had a blacksmith every village had a basket maker and so there's that kind of that shared community idea and for some things everyone did it yeah everyone would have known how to knit or sew or and so yes, maybe some people would do more. Yeah, the shepherds, the shepherds' family would probably have more skills with wool than the blacksmith's family. Um, but yeah, bringing it up to date, bringing it into the sort of community. I think the modern community has grown. I think more and more people are becoming aware of it. I think we have to thank social media for that. Yeah, I can remember as a as, as a kid, we, we there was a magazine in the UK called Hobbycraft. Uh, there's a shop now called or just Hobby Magazine or something like that. There, there were there were a number, and I can remember getting those. And you you read articles and you you'd see kind of articles by someone, and there were organisations that you know the woodturners they've been had organisations and associations for decades, probably longer. It was probably guilds years ago. So there's always been those communities, but they would join together by magazines and books and the occasional meet. But of course, now we can access the kind of information that would take a lot of time, access the kind of inspiration that was, again, time consuming and, and possibly rare. Instantly, on our fingertips, you know, we can now see amazing pieces of creative work from all over the world in an instant but even better we can find the people who are doing that we can follow those people on things like instagram we can connect to people those that of course that are prepared to share as i mentioned earlier some people don't some people are in their garage they'll put on youtube find something they'll get a book they'll make something they'll do it from scratch they'll just learn the skills or maybe they're yeah, they're a time-served machinist engineer and they're building a steam engine from a book that was printed in 1960 and they, they know how to use the tools. They've got the tools. They, they don't have a sense of community maybe beyond you know, their tiny little realm. Maybe they, you know, once a year they go to a convention and they see other steam engines. 
But I think now more and more people, they're able to get on their phones, they're able to get on Instagram, they're able to see amazing artwork. You know, I've, I've been taking part in the Inktober Challenge. My, I haven't drawn properly since I was in school and I had to drop art at age 13. So That's not what I would have expected. I feel like your, draw, your drawings are... Impressive. No, I, I, I wanted to carry on art, but I had to choose art or German. And my physics teacher told me I should do German because I wanted to do physics at university. And yeah, there were a lot of German physicists. And yeah, it's like... Did that advice pay off? No, it was the worst possible advice. Um, <laughs> I did badly in German. I'm not very good with languages. There was some poor teaching. That story for another time. I wish I'd done art or, or technology as a subject because that was a sort of a new subject at the time. So I pretty much never really drew after that. I doodled in meetings and all, all, all things like that, of course. You know, you're wasting on a telephone for the insurance company to kind of decide they want to sell you some insurance and you know, you're in that music queue, so you're doodling and or you're in the, the, the long, boring meeting where they're talking about things that aren't really relevant. You really shouldn't need to be in the meeting, but you are anyway, so you doodle. But apart from that, I've never formally drawn since age 13 so i kind of yeah but watching other people seeing other people draw seeing the ideas they've got and yeah my drawing has been for this month has just been copying you know images off google images because that's i figure how i'm going to learn the skills but there are a few artists that i've now started following on instagram because i love their work and you know Maybe it's a bit beyond me at the moment, but I'm going to have a go at trying to do some of their, their work as well. And you, we can develop our skills like that. We can now access information. You know, the, the rise of things like, I, th I think there's a, a turning tide against Facebook. And it, it's full of false information and it's too politicized and it's full of adverts and they're constantly listening. And I think there's a rise to things like Discord, for example, where communities can come together. There's no adverts. You can have little channels to discuss things. You can kind of be mutually appreciative and mutually challenging and supportive. And yeah, it's international. Yeah, my community, my my friends now. I have people in, I live in a village. There's, there's about 1,200 people in the, the village in the extended area that kind of combines the village. And I've got a few friends in the village. There are people that I, I talk with very pleasantly and yeah, have conversations with. They're people I really call friends, the close friends, the people that if I was in trouble, uh, of, yeah, obviously if there was an immediate problem with the house, yeah, I might call somebody in the village. But yeah, if I was struggling with my 3d printer if i was struggling emotionally with something i wouldn't be calling people in the village i'd be calling one of my friends and some of them i you know, trust dearly that live yeah 50 miles 100 miles 3,000 miles 6,000 miles away 10,000 miles yeah i'd be pulling those people together and i think that's where the maker community has developed over the last certainly the five years well probably more than five years you know five years ago seven years ago when i first met the maker community but wasn't really involved in it i knew it was worldwide I discovered things like the make affairs the make magazine so people were talking to each other youtube i was starting to find youtube i've, I've used youtube for years as a kind of resource for fixing things at home yeah you know, that, that, 
sink is leaking or I have a I need to do something on the car or in my teaching I often used YouTube to kind of show things there's great I found a great video years ago from some American students talking about momentum and it was it was obviously kind of one of the guys was obviously a jock and into his his American football it was just half the video was him about just running into other people so yeah using it things like that but now I think there's a growing sense of worldwide community and that ability to share things and like you say yeah sometimes you just try and work things out and, and that I think it's an important learning sometimes yeah you just have to work things out but actually I think I wish sometimes more that I had reached out to people and said yeah I'm really not sure what I'm doing here give me some pointers and then I'll work mm -hmm. it out with your pointers and that will speed up the process maybe save me some money maybe save me some time Maybe save me some heartache. Maybe save me taking something out and just smashing it with a hammer because it's just gone so badly wrong. I just want it broken and burnt. Um, so I, yeah, I would urge anyone to anyone that's interested in making whatever form of making it is, whether it's like Ryan, you say, you, yeah, you're not really making you make films. You're a maker. Yeah, if you create something, yeah, as Justin on the Garage Avenger says, you know. Uh, it's making ideas reality, taking your imagination and creating something. Yeah. That makes you a maker. And I think we're all better if we reach out and actually make together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Just, it's funny. I was listening to, uh, I can't remember his last name, but Yuval Noah... I can't remember his last name, but he wrote Sapiens and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Oh, yeah. um, Yuval Noah Harari. Yep. He was on uh, the Tim Ferriss show. And he said he said something that you, you just reminded me of in that fact that the reason humans are the dominant species on earth is because we work together. Like we don't have claws. We don't have, we can't run the fastest or anything else because we have figured it out that the, what we can do together is far greater than what we can do alone. And think the, the the community building is kind of a manifestation of that and and it's everything that people get out of it well on that should we transition into what we're putting in the spotlight this week sure i don't see why not guys, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, i cut out in your response <laughs> um andy would you like to kick it off since you are our guest this week yeah i'm gonna if, i'm gonna be greedy and, and kind of pull three people two two kind of connected um I'd like to kind of give a bit of a shout out to a common friend of ours, Morley, and that's uh, Steph from Uncommon Outposts, who's just about to, well, she's a little way off 2,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, she's on YouTube as well. But yeah, Instagram is her main place. And I, I just keep looking back, and a few people have been kind of, kind of promoting her lately. Just seeing the bench that she made recently, which looks like a cartoon. It looks like a drawing. It's incredible. Yeah, you kind of think that, that's, that's a drawing. No, it's a bench. It, it it's the most. Um, there's there's so many workbenches on 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 the on YouTube on on Instagram. There's some amazing benches. You know, functional benches. You get your MFT style tops. You got your kind of your, your torsion bridge style. Your, your, your classic woodworkers type benches. It's completely unique. And it's beautiful, and yeah, I think she deserves a little bit of a sort of a, a boost to try and get to that sort of two thousand on Instagram. 
but the, the the main one I want to kind of put sure there's two people uh, people in the 3d printer world will know of someone called Billy Rubin uh, she's an Australian who was until recently doing a lot of work on uh, Reddit uh, in the 3D printer communities there, but I, I, I believe she's spending less time there. She's just started a few weeks ago her YouTube channel. She's very much a, I'm going to 3D print stuff because I want to make interesting things rather than somebody like sort of Joel Telling who kind of thought this is how 3D printer can be fixed or made or made better. She's very much a kind of, I want to make interesting things type 3D printer person. And she's a YouTube channel. She's growing quickly as is somebody of her standing in the 3D printer community is expected to do. Uh, she's also kind of doing a bit of a kind of an interview podcast show on uh, YouTube as well, which is she's had two makers on so far, one who's now joined her as co-host. And that's been quite interesting to listen to. But she recommended a, a channel which I hadn't come across before, a guy called Zach Friedman. I'll, I'll send you the links to kind of him. That sounds familiar. And it, he's a he's a he's a bit of a hacker. He calls himself a bit of a cyborg. He's kind of his he presents on YouTube. He's got a augmented uh, head-up display on his uh, sort of glasses, which is his teleprompter. <laughs> uh, he's he often got a data glove on. I I'd never come across him before, and it's just I, I spent was that yesterday or the day before. I spent about two hours just watching most of his videos because it's just I, I quite liked his little bit silly presentation at times. But talking, one of his videos was talking about uh, product design and actually kind of how about going about designing things and the shortfalls you've come across when you're designing something. And it was fascinating and clearly something he does quite a bit of. So that was a bit of a rabbit hole for me. Yeah, it's, and cool. one I would certainly recommend for anyone that's involved in sort of 3D printing, electronics, uh, app development, things like that, because it was it was a fascinating watch. Awesome, cool. All right, well, I'll I'll go next because I have another maker uh, to keep the makers group together. So yesterday I listened to the newest because we make. Uh, which we've mentioned before, our friends Vincent and Ethan host that, with Ashley Minnie, who I hadn't heard of before. And I've talked about this before with Andy and some other people. Like It's always amazing when you realize these incredible makers and artists who you were never aware of, and they seem to be massive. Or like there's just all these little communities that are existing in parallel but aren't aware of each other. It's incredible. Um, So I, first of all, on the podcast, I related to a lot of what she was saying. Um, so she kind of left an office job and was really listening to herself. This internal feeling that she had that like making and creating um, all sorts of different things was what she had to do. And doing this sort of office job that she was in was not going to cut it. And she had to make a change. Um, I, I really appreciate her candor in the episode and and how freely she spoke. Uh, so afterwards I was going through her Instagram and the variety of work she does at like a very high level is incredible. Like her leather work, her metal work. She did this carving of um, the hand of God or like Adam touching the hand of God, the painting. 
uh, just the two hands touching. And it's, it's incredible. Like I was like, that's, it's such, it was such an inspirational leather carving. Cause I really like that sort of like, um, not sort of what you would expect leather carving style, not like the classic, like swirls and swirls and flowers, but it was, it was very creative. I found, and I was watching some of her other videos before we started. Um, one, she profiled a friend who was doing, uh, copper enameling and she like made a piece of copper look like a piece of paper. And it was, it was such an interesting process to see something that, which I've never done and now want to try. Um, so yeah, I think she, someone, she only has like 666 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, I might've been that magic number for her. Um, and I think she deserves way more. It seems like you can see all the creativity and skill bubbling out of her. And I hope she gets a lot more eyeballs. So yeah, Ashley, I totally agree. I've, I've followed you down that rabbit hole after listening to because we make as well. And yeah, a little bit cross with Vincent about not you know, highlighting her before because her channel's brilliant. <laughs> her cinematography, if you look at some of her old videos particularly, um, it's superb, absolutely superb. So yeah, I, I've kind of hit the notification bell on on her as well because I, I really want to see more of her of her work. Yeah. Sweet. So unfortunately, I'm probably going to be breaking the maker flow a little bit, but <laughs> it's still somewhat timely because we're recording this on October 29th, a few days before Halloween. So in honor of the last days of spooky season, I decided to highlight uh, this really interesting YouTube channel called Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. So I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm a really big fan of the old school radio dramas and radio plays, that sort of serial mm. format from the 1930s, 20s, 40s, 50s. And I just love the way that they're able to tell the stories in the, in the way that they did, even like way, way before the podcasting days. So this YouTube channel, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, it takes horror stories from a vast array of genres, from the most popular writers to people's stories on the internet, from creepypastas to horror stories you find on like writers' forums, and they're adapted into all these very cool, interesting radio plays that could last from 10 minutes to over an hour. It's really, really cool, this YouTube channel, being able to listen to these stories, the fact that they're able to take these writers' works who for especially horror writers to take their material and to produce it in this way with this interesting combination of like the classic narration and like uh, the music and the sound effects. It creates a really nice eerie atmosphere. So if you're a big fan of horror and horror is such a massive genre, even on this uh, channel, there's episodes featuring tales like Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, Lovecraft Horror, uh, other types of horror stories from other amateur writers who are just trying to get their work out there. It's an awesome channel. It's one of my favorite channels on YouTube. I believe they also have their episodes on uh, on Spotify as well. So really cool. I recommend this. If you're bored in Halloween and you can't go trick-or-treating because we're all stuck inside in quarantine, I really recommend you all check out this YouTube channel, put it on the TV, and just appreciate the way they're able to create this really creepy, eerie atmosphere and just be engrossed in these stories. Awesome. I don't, I don't know how uh, Halloween is going to go down in Toronto this year, but people have definitely uh, been decorating a bit in my neighborhood. And it's, it is nice to see, like I was uh, biking around late last night yeah, and I was like, oh, this is, it's a bit of a nice, like change of pace with all like the COVID um, 
feeling kind of like bearing down on everything. Yeah. Um, just being outside and feeling like there's a bit of like, even if kids aren't going to be trick or treating, yeah. just the decorations and like, there's even some people just like dressed up walking around. That's nice. It's just a sense of like, you know, that we're still able to appreciate these small things, even though we can't celebrate them as we used to. Yeah. And have a very like pure fun, like fun for no reason sort of thing. Yeah. Especially have, since Ryan, have you, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Go on. I was just like, yeah, because we're all stuck inside for, you know so for so much this year like that sense of time is kind of weird like in many ways it feels it's just this like groundhog day with bill Murray, it's just the same thing over and over and over so it's nice to see like at least a nice change of visual as well have you listened to welcome to night vale no i haven't heard of that okay so you might be interested in it it's um it's a it's a uh podcast and it's kind of like a fake small town radio show. Love it. Um, and it's, have you seen Stranger Things? Yes, yes. So the premise is that like, it's it's taking place in a small rural town, kind of like the Stranger Things town where like, there's all these strange things that are happening, but it's far more supernatural. Okay. But everyone is aware of it. So the newscaster is reporting it as if it's like the most normal thing in the world. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I like listen a to it a bit. It, yeah, it's total satire. It's very fun. Um, oh, funny. I didn't get super into it. Like it, it started to feel a little pointless after a little while because it's like it's really ridiculous. But uh, it, it's a very cool vibe and it's very good world building. That's awesome. I always love, especially world building. I would definitely check this out. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. I know you are in a variety of places online. So if the people want to watch you, listen to you or see your stuff, where can they do any of the above? Uh, yeah, I have a huge number of, I've got like four Instagram, uh, uh, four or five, YouTube four or channels. five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not very active on some of them. Uh, I, best places to find me, uh, my main Instagram is Andy CPU. Uh, that's the kind of the big one. That's where most people are. I do have a food blogging one. I'm still not really pushing it hard enough. Uh, I have a podcast called Thoughts from the Tinkerage, and that has its own Instagram. And that can, that can be found on Anchor and iTunes and Google Podcasts and all the kind of the, the, the big things. I do need to get an episode out. A bit, uh, bit behind on getting episodes out. That's a one man show, so I kind of uh, get, yeah, life happens and it doesn't. And my main YouTube channel, I, my main YouTube watching is through my own channel, uh, which is sort of Andy Pugh. Tony's got a couple of videos, but my main maker channel is Tales from the Tinkerage. So Thoughts from the Tinkerage is my podcast, and that's kind of you know, just ideas and lots of things to, to talk about. Uh, but Tales from the Tinkerage, that's my making. That's, again, I, I need to get a few videos up on there. I haven't put one up in a, in a while. So, yeah, Tales from the Tinkerage. Thoughts and Tinkerage and Andy CPU. That's the main places. Awesome. And as I briefly mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, Andy is a regular face in our makers on Zoom having coffee chats. So that is, we've been doing it essentially every Saturday um, since COVID started. It's quite a while, man. And it's still going. Yeah. Yeah. So if uh, you're interested in all... It's turned into a great... Yeah, publicly now, you you may choose to edit this out, but yeah, 
kind of sort of publicly thank you for for starting that. You're the kind of the, the, the driving force behind getting that going. And there's a, a nice little community of people now that you know chat daily uh, on sort of the, the Make on Zoom uh, having coffee Discord and yeah, you know, weekly face to face. And, and even within the week, I mean, there was a, a chat just last night uh, for kind of that leather working. And yeah, it's it's great that people from literally across the world, I mean, there's there's three continents involved in it. Um, yeah, it's it, it's great. It's, it, it's again, it's another example of the maker community, how it can link together through the power of the internet uh, to bring people together who have a kind of common interest, yeah, not not completely common interests. Yeah, we are different people. I'm sure we have different views. There, are, I'm sure there are different political views, but uh, amongst other things, but we have this common ground of making, and it's it's not just one form of making; it's many. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. It, I'm blown away with how organically and quickly it has grown. And I also wanted to thank you for kind of spearheading the Discord. Um, cause I, I've, uh, that has taken on another whole life of its own and having another person who can kind of, well, I mean, you've done more than I have in the discord in terms of setting up and organizing it. And that has been very nice. Cause I don't feel like I have to be like this watchful presence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, if anyone wants to participate in one of the Saturday zoom calls, um, just send me a DM. I'll send you the link. We always welcome new faces. And as Andy said, we're not just talking about making things out of wood and leather. Um, it's it's just a good group of people who, some photographers, um, all sorts of making and cool people are welcome. So yeah, but send me a DM if you'd like to come. Sure, I think I will because Andy officially designated me as official maker. So I guess yeah, I'm <laughs> All right. Well, on that, uh, thanks again, Andy. Thank you. uh, Thank you. Have a good night, guys. Yeah, thanks. And thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I'm really looking forward to seeing your next project. So No problem. Thank you very much. Bye, guys.